All right, so we are beginning Jews, Israel, and Jesus. We're starting with Unit 1, the Jewishness of Jesus. So do you even realize that Jesus is Jewish? And do you know why it's so important and significant that Jesus had to be Jewish? And that if Jesus was not Jewish, then none of us is saved. We don't have a Savior. We don't have one who crushes the head of the serpent for all mankind. This is very, very important to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus or says that they believe in God, the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel is the nation that God has chosen to bring forth the Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah. And so the opening scripture for this unit is probably not one that you've memorized as a memory verse or a promise of God that you have on your refrigerator or on your coffee cup, because it's not about you. It's about God's plan for his people. This is from Genesis 22, verse 17, the second half of verse 17 and verse 18. And it says, And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, friends, that is not a promise to you or to me. That is something that an angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham. After Abraham offered up, guess what? His one and only beloved son on a mountain. That's a very significant mountain, and all these pieces will start to fit together as we go through this course. But this scripture is the foundation and beginning of why Jesus had to be Jewish and who Jesus actually is. He is the seed. He is the offspring of Abraham, that Abraham is the one who, through his obedience, became the one who God would bring the blessing to all the nations through him because Abraham obeyed God's voice. Well, friends, if you know your Bible, that's all the way back in Genesis. That's at the very beginning. So we've got a lot to cover between Genesis and getting to Jesus, right? But let's look first. Point A of Unit 1 is common questions about Israel and the Jewish people. So let's just start with question number one. Why did Jesus have to be Jewish? Many people, I'm sure, have wondered about that. Why couldn't Jesus be Chinese? Why couldn't Jesus be African? Why couldn't Jesus be Canadian or American or, you know, European? Whatever. Jesus couldn't be any of those things because if he was any of those things, then he's not qualified according to the prophecies pertaining to the Messiah. He is disqualified by birth, by bloodline, that he would not be able to be the Messiah if he was any of of those things. Now, for example, those of you who know me, you know that I love Israel and I spend time there whenever I possibly can. Well, one day I was on a train in Israel and a very enthusiastic Jewish man, he was walking through the train and he was ecstatic and he was saying, the Messiah has come and he was born in Brooklyn. Um, you know, only in Israel do things like this happen. The, th the problem is, though, that the Messiah, he has come, but no, he was not born in Brooklyn. Now, I haven't been to Brooklyn in over 20 years. It's, it's cleaned up a lot since the last time I was there, from what I've heard. But uh, nope, the, the scriptures say that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. 
not Brooklyn. So that just gives you an idea of what we're talking about. The Messiah has to fit certain criteria, or he's not the Messiah, according to the promises of God. Well, Jewishness for Jesus, that's one of those things. So that's a question I hope that we'll answer through this course. Question number two, has God rejected the Jewish people because they rejected Jesus? Very good question. And there's a lot of debate about that, but the debate is completely unfounded if you understand the writings of Paul and the New Covenant. Paul makes it exorbitantly clear that God has not rejected the Jewish people. In those very words, he says, has God rejected the Jewish people? By no means. So, hello, we can't really have a big debate about this when the words of the Apostle Paul are so clear. But still, it's a question that sometimes gets asked. Number three, is God still in covenant with the Jewish people? Very good question. Yes, God is still in covenant with the Jewish people, but they are still under the old covenant, what we as new covenant believers call the old covenant. And there's a reason that we call ours the new covenant. The new covenant was actually promised through the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets, but Jeremiah is the one that really calls it the new covenant. God says, I will give you a new covenant because you've broken the old one. So only when something is new does it make something else old. Well, the Jewish people today, those who still uh, are observant Jews, they are under the old covenant that is still valid before God until heaven and earth pass away. But there is not salvation in the old covenant uh, because no one has been able to fulfill the terms of that covenant. And to add insult to injury, there is no temple in Jerusalem at the one place where God requires that sacrifice sacrifices be made unto his name. Sacrifices are not acceptable in any other place in the world. So, yes, God is still in covenant with the Jewish people, but there are some issues with that. Number four, are the Jewish people already saved? Are they automatically saved? That's another question that people ask. Well, no, the Jewish people are not already saved, and they are not automatically saved. So that's why it's important that we proclaim the gospel first to the Jew. They need to hear the gospel proclaimed to them in the proper biblical way to their people so that they understand that Jesus, Yeshua, is their Messiah so that that they can be saved. If Jewish people were already saved, then why did the Apostle Paul travel the world going to synagogues to tell them how to get saved and that they needed to be saved? If Jewish people were automatically saved, then the same theory applies. So these are questions. I'm not trying to make them look little or small. They're good questions, but we have to address them. And there are some things that can just be answered very simply because of the evidence that we have in the scriptures and the example of the life of Jesus and his first followers and his apostles, the ones that he chose to send out into the world. So number five, if not, if they're not already saved and if they're not automatically saved, then how do the Jewish people get saved? Well, what again, what the scripture says is faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Messiah. They need to hear the gospel that the Messiah has come and that the Messiah shed his blood for the forgiveness of their sins to offer repentance for the forgiveness of those sins that they might turn from their wicked ways and come to faith. 
in Yeshua as their Messiah and have their sins washed away until he returns to bring all of us who believe into the world to come. So the Jewish people get saved the same way that any Gentile gets saved. Those of you who know me know that God sends me all over the world and I proclaim the gospel to many Gentiles in many different places. So the way we proclaim it to Gentiles might be a little bit different so that it's in their context and way of understanding, but the Jewish people get saved by putting their faith in Jesus the same way that anyone else does. That's not two different terms for two different types of people. Everyone now is subject under the wrath of God because of sin, and the only way to be saved is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to have your sins washed away by his blood shed for you, to believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Those are the terms for everyone, Jew, Gentile, from every nation. That's how anyone gets saved, by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. The sixth question that I hear uh, sometimes is, who is the Israel of God? So that is quoting from Galatians 6.16. Most of the time in the Bible, you'll hear the God of Israel, the God of Israel, the God of Israel. And it's important for us to remember that if we are followers of Jesus, then the God we serve is the God of Israel. But Galatians 6.16 says the Israel of God, and we will address that a bit. Those who have put their faith and are abiding in the new covenant. Those are the ones who are the real Israel of God. We'll talk about that. Question number seven, does the church replace Israel? Okay, there's a whole group of people who have created a whole theology that the church replaces Israel. This is a lie from the pit of hell, and this is not good biblical understanding, and this does not give accurate interpretations of the writings of Paul, the life of Paul, the demonstration of the life of Jesus, or the teachings of Jesus. It, The church absolutely does not replace Israel. That's called replacement theology and it is a lie. We will explain how the church and Israel are different and how we are one new man in Messiah, Jew and Gentile together in Messiah, but the church does not replace Israel. So we'll talk about that through the units of this course. And then question eight is, what is one new man? Now, some of you may not have ever heard the term one new man. That is from Ephesians chapter two, verse 15. Very significant. We have to understand that all humanity, Jew and Gentile, are one in Messiah. God has created a new humanity a new creation, not like the first Adam, but coming from the second Adam, who is Christ, for everyone, Jew and Gentile, who has put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. That is the one new man, and we will talk about that in this course. Also, question nine, does Israel really have a right to the land? Yes, we've got a whole unit talking about the land, the promises of the land to the patriarchs and their descendants, and that yes, Israel really does have a right to the land according to the biblical perspective. So when you look at the scriptures as they are, some of the arguments going on in the world today just really, well, the prophecies say also that there's going to be a lot of problems. So I guess it is biblical fulfillment. 
fulfillment. But when you understand what the scriptures say, yep, there might be a lot of contention against it. But at the end of the day, God has really promised the land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then question number 10, these are just questions that I hear on a regular basis. Question number 10, why do so many good and bad things happen to the Jewish people? So if you think about the Jewish people, they seem to be some of the most blessed people in the whole world. They're incredibly smart. They create all these marvelous inventions that change the world and make the world a better place to be. They, they've gotten countless awards for bringing peace uh, around the world. They, they usually excel in business and they have high positions of authority within finance and banking and business and all of these things. They seem like a very blessed people, and they're very philanthropic. They devote themselves to trying to make the world a better place for the most part. But also horrifying things have happened to the Jewish people throughout the centuries. Pogroms, holocausts, persecution, synagogue burnings, mass shootings, all of these things all the way through all the centuries and even up to today. These bad and horrifying things have happened to the Jewish people. And you've got to ask yourself, well, if they're the chosen people of God, why are these bad things happening to them? It's a good question. And I hope that through the units of this course, you will gain better understanding of this question and also the other questions that we've just raised. These are common questions that I hear people asking all the time about Israel and the Jewish people, and they're good questions. And I hope that through this course, you're going to understand the significance of the Jewishness of Jesus, but also the significance of the covenant that God has with the Jewish people and all of these other questions that have been raised about Israel and about these chosen, precious, peculiar people of God. All right, so we'll move into point B of Unit 1, and point B is your Jewish Bible. If you've ever thought about it, your Bible, the whole Bible, it is written by Jews, to Jews, for Jews, and it's about Jews. The whole Bible is an ancient Jewish book. It is an ancient Hebrew text. Hebrew is the language of the Jewish people. All of the Bible's authors were Jewish. Even the New Testament, with only possibly the exception of Luke, but there's debate about that, whether he was a Jew or a Gentile. But let's just say all the Bible's authors were Jewish people. Okay, the whole book is a Jewish manuscript. It is a record of the history of the one and only God who created heaven and earth, the only God who created heaven and earth, the only all-powerful God. It is the record of the history of that God's relationship with all humanity and that God's relationship with humanity through his chosen people, Israel, who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in this Jewish book called Your Bible, if you really want to know, okay, well, why is it called Matthew, or why, why are these names all—they sound like Gentile names? Well, they were changed. At a certain point in history, the Jewishness of the gospel and the Jewishness of Jesus was deliberately removed. That happened during the days of Constantine. And so that is when the name Jesus was actually created, because 
because prior to that, for the first 300 years of Christianity, everybody referred to Jesus as Yeshua, because Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Yeshua means the Lord is our salvation. And that is significant. The first time that that is spoken in the scriptures is in Exodus 15, after the Israelites have come through the parted waters of the Red Sea. And it says, the Lord has become my salvation. The Lord has become my Yeshua. So you see, now in our context, the Lord has gone before us. He has parted the waters of sin and death that we might walk through to salvation. The Lord has become our Yeshua, and he has saved us from our sins. He has saved us from condemnation. He has saved us from sin and death. Hallelujah. And he is Jewish. And for the first 300 years of Christianity, everybody knew that. But then it was changed. So let's take a look. The book of Matthew. Well, Matthew's name is actually Levi. Now, Levi sounds a little bit more Jewish, doesn't it? Mark? Mark's name would be Maccabi, or that would be the Jewish version of the name of Mark. John, the book of John, his name was Yohanan. Okay, so John's name, it wasn't John. He was Jewish. He had a Jewish name. James would be Jacob. So Jacob is Jacob. James, his name wasn't James. James was the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. But Jesus didn't call him James, and he didn't call Jesus Jesus. James called Jesus Yeshua. And Yeshua called James Jacob or Jacob. Okay? Jude also, Jude, his name would be Judah or Yehuda. Yehuda. These are all Jewish names. They've been changed to make the Bible and the gospel seem more Gentile, seem more appealing to Gentiles. And the Jewishness of Jesus was deliberately removed in the days of Constantine in the 300s of our current era, or 300s AD. So the Bible, we have to understand that it is a Jewish book. This is one story. Genesis to Revelation is one story pointing to the Messiah of Israel as God's ultimate purpose for the redemption of his own people and also the redemption of all mankind. The one story of the Bible pointing to the Messiah of Israel is God's purpose for the restoration of all things, the ushering in of the world to come, and eternal life for those who call upon his name in the world to come that will be where righteousness dwells, where there is no sin, where there is no crying, where there is no pain, where there is no grief or mourning. It will be Eden restored, God's original plan and purpose for the world restored through the Messiah of Israel. Again, if Jesus isn't Jewish, then none of us are saved at all. 
This story of the Bible climaxes in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, who is that promised Messiah. Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death. See, you may have looked at Jesus as, what a wimp, he died on a cross. No, he's not a wimp. He's the only one who didn't fear death. See, in the time that I'm recording this, I just got back from a nation where they worship all kinds of different gods. And they look at Jesus and they say, eh, what a wimpy God. He's new on the scene. Our gods go back thousands of years. This guy is only 2,000 years ago. And even so, he died on a cross. Ah, that's, that's a weak God. Who wants a weak God? But that is a lie. That is a misunderstanding because Jesus comes from eternity. He is the Son of God, and we will talk about all of that. But Jesus also, he wasn't weak. He was so strong. He knew that he had power over death and that God would raise him from the dead on the third day. He went to the cross to be crucified, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world. He was not afraid of death. He said, I have authority to lay my life down and authority to take it up again. No one takes my life from me. He knew what the Father was doing and that God would raise him from the dead. He was not afraid of death because he knew that it would fulfill God's redemptive plan for the Jewish people and all the people of the world if he went to the cross and went all the way, obedience even unto death. For that, Jesus has received the name that is above all names in heaven and earth and under the earth in this age and the age to come. The Bible climaxes with the story of Jesus as the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of God's plan, but there is still some yet to come. The story continues in the accounts and the letters of the followers of Jesus who are beckoning the world to repent and to faith in Jesus as their Savior, their Lord, their God. The followers of Jesus prophesy the fulfillment of the events that the former prophets have already prophesied, but they will be fulfilled when Jesus returns to judge the world and to usher in the world to come. That, my friends, is the story of the Bible. It is one book, and it is not about you. It is about Jesus. It is about God, the one God, maker of heaven and earth, and his plan for the salvation and redemption of the whole world for his purpose, his original design to be realized by all those who call upon his name. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is that name that we must call upon. The whole Bible points to him. And the events that are still yet to come point to him. He is the one appointed by God to judge all the earth and every person in it, even according to the motives and secret thoughts of their heart. And he is the one who will usher in the world to come, and he will rule and reign for all eternity, and he will make his dwelling place with all mankind, that we can dwell with God forever, according to his plan, according to his purpose. Friends, if you consider yourself a lover of the Word of God and a lover of the Bible, then you love a Jewish book. You 
love a Hebrew text. Yes, I know that the New Testament was written in Greek, but that's only because Greek was the language of the world at that time. It was still written by Jewish people, but made understandable to the people in the world at that time. And that same book has been translated into many, many, many languages. If it hadn't been translated into English, I would not have understanding of it. Or all of us would have to learn Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic to understand this book. But wherever you're listening from, I know you're listening from all over the world, the Bible If you're listening to this, you've probably had the Bible translated into your language. There are still languages out there that the Bible needs to be translated into. But never forget, no matter what language you are reading the Bible in, it was not written in that language unless you are reading it in Hebrew and ancient Aramaic and Greek. It is a Hebrew book. It is a Jewish book. We serve the God of Israel. And if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we follow a Jewish Messiah who is the fulfillment of the story of a Jewish book. This is a Jewish story, friends. We are just at the beginning. So we're going to keep going and dig a lot deeper into all of these things so that we can understand the one that we call our Lord and our Savior and our King. 